Dalton takes a shotgun snap. Quick throw. Nice. Caught by Get Green. It, it is a yeah. touchdown. Adriel Jeremiah Green. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. Welcome back. We hope that you're keeping safe and well. It's tricky and dicey out there at the moment, but uh, we're back to talk some nonsense, uh, maybe to help you take your mind off things for a little while at least. We have a fantastic special guest in this episode um, and I'm very happy to say that it's our old friend Ken Anderson making his third appearance on Cincinnati. He's back, the legend, the soon-to-be Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, It was great to catch up with Ken Um, and it's also great to catch up with my partner in crime, Nathan Palmer. Nathan, are you there? Hello. I am there indeed, my son. How are you? Did you watch the playoffs at the weekend? Are you are you grovelling at the fact that we weren't involved? How are you feeling? Yeah, it's always funny, isn't it? I think you know, now it's sort of, was it four or five years on since we last uh, appeared in the playoffs? You kind of get used to it, really, don't you? I mean, there, there is a bit of a, a tinge of jealousy when, uh, when uh, the teams take the field for the playoffs because there's something different in the air. The atmosphere is different. Everything's yeah. a lot more intense teams and players are just going nuts on the field there's some crazy finishes there's some great players and great plays yeah i i watched i watched some of it i had some uh few bits to do this weekend but i did watch the the bills game which i enjoyed thoroughly that was a really good game against the colts and uh i watched some of the i can't even remember the saturday night game what was the saturday night game ram seahawks I watched a little bit of that, and I was really looking forward to the Ravens and the Titans last night. And um, weirdly, I don't know why, because I maybe it's because I did have some stuff to do um, that I couldn't really get into it, uh, which quite, is weird. Quite intrigued about what this stuff to do is you're up to during the lockdown. You know, not many people got much going on at the moment, so I'm I'm hoping it's all above board. This stuff that you're cracking on with. It some. is. It is. All I'll say is that you know very well what stuff I had to do. It was a work <laughs> deadline, and oh, uh, I didn't. I didn't even realize that you were going to be like <laughs> you're doing something with Tonys or saying. No, 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 no. That's uh, hopefully to come. Uh, but no, I couldn't really get into the Ravens and the. Um, I watched the first half, the Ravens and the Titans, and. Um, it was a, it was a really fascinating game that one, a real sort of chess match, I thought. And yeah, uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because the Titans started off really, really well, and then there were some obvious big boy adjustments made by the Ravens, and then they just kind of, I wouldn't say dominated, but just kept the Titans at bay, which was a fantastic effort by them. And then I watched um, about you know most of the first half of the Chicago and the New Orleans game, and I know a lot of people have been chirping up saying they hated it but I, I quite enjoyed it. I do enjoy a, a, a good defensive slog fest now and again and that was a real real tussle down there in in the Superdome. Absolutely I mean I think the one thing for me that stood out there's a lot of teams that were in the playoffs that have got quality offensive lines and that can run the ball I thought Indianapolis did a great job of that and I think 
they're one of those teams when you look at them, especially with Philip Rivers now, you know, nearly 40 years old, still sort of, you know, slugging it out and doing a good job of it. But you look at their line and you look at their running game with Jonathan Taylor and stuff like that. And they they really did a fantastic job of actually like grinding out six, seven yards on first down and making it easier for themselves and for the passing game. Because Rivers at this point in his career is not really one of those guys that's going to gun it long and beat you for 60 yards downfield every play like a Justin Herbert might do. But it was just interesting to see those sort of quality lines with the running game. And I think, as we've talked about in the past, that style of football, I think, more and more is becoming less and less sexy. And you saw the Bengals really sort of move away from it under Joe Burrow, opting instead to sort of pass it 40, 50 times a game, which, you know, is is fine and it looks good and it can move the ball, but it's a lot more risky. And I just think that being able to grind those yards out on the ground, it really does... You know, it's really a sort of way of football that works. And I, I hope we sort of go back to that um, as we move into next season. But just a question for you, son, looking yes. at those games. And I know you saw a few of them. I saw, I think, all of them apart from the Steelers-Browns mm, game. Mm, mm. Um, how far off of that do you think we are? When you look at that, do you think that mm. we're a million miles away? Do you think actually we could probably hang with some of those teams? How far do you think, you know, how much room between them and us do you think there is? That's a really good question because I think that's that's the that's the one thing I I ask myself first whenever I see these games because I said the intensity is insane, is off the charts. Definitely, um, you know, kind of perceptibly more so than a regular season game, as it should be. It's not rocket science, but it, you can just feel that tension and the intensity in the air, and they play like it on the field. Um, and I think I th- always think to myself, how far are we away from this level of play? And do you know what? I'm gonna. I. It's a weird one. I don't think we're that far away um, because during some games last season, we were marching up and down the field on offense against some good defenses: Indianapolis, you know, uh, Cleveland, the Titans. We were just cutting them to ribbons in in. In certain games, you know, um, and we certainly played with that playoff-like intensity against Pittsburgh on that Monday night. So the question is, can we put it all together more often and can we be more consistent? I think that's the key because I saw some games and some stretches of games last season where I thought, goodness me, not many teams would live with us, certainly on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but we have to do it consistently and we have to kind of match those sort of... We have to match that kind of play on both sides of the ball, you know. What about you? What did you think? I thought we felt quite short of it, but it, it's hard, isn't it? Because I think it feels, like I said last week, it feels like so long ago we actually had Joe Burrow under centre. And I think there was about a three-week period just before Burrow went down hurt that I thought we looked really dangerous. And that I think I was starting to think, you know what, like if we had a run down the stretch here and we had some easier games that we could get seven or eight wins or, you know, maybe more than that. And maybe we're not more than that because we'd have to win out. But I did think there was like, you said, there was moments you thought, oh, this is quite interesting. I just think the key thing for us is we lack depth. I think we lack the intensity week to week. We had some good games. But we also had some stinkers in there. And oh, it just, yeah, for sure. You know, I think that, 
for us to be a better team, we've got to have a bit more depth. We've got to sort of finish some games. And I think that's been the thing that's been missing for the Bengals throughout three years now has been the ability to just turn these close games into wins. Mm. And I think under Marvin Lewis, there were some games, you know, the old cardiac cat games where, you know, we knew how to sort of grind out some wins. That game against Atlanta, that game against Tampa Bay. Um, Well, in the the 2015 season, we went 12 and 4. We more or less, you know, I want to say all our victories were pretty tight games and we were coming out on the right side of those games. You look at... Seattle in 2015, you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you think about the, even Marvin's last season. There was that, um, there was that Falcons game. There was the Miami game where we looked awful and we turned it round and pulled it out at the end there uh, with a defensive, a couple of defensive touchdowns. So I just think it's not, you know, having the mentality of grinding out those wins. You know, so the amount, even if Zach Taylor, if you turned half of those losses he's had in one score games into wins, he's probably got 10 wins under his belt, maybe more. Which is crazy to say, isn't it, Willie, when you think about it? But it's yeah. true. It is true. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, we, not... if, if we would have beaten the Chargers at home, Cleveland at home, uh, Philadelphia away, um, who else? The Giants at home. You can probably write off Cleveland away, Pittsburgh away, the two Baltimore games, uh, Washington as well when Burrow went down, or even though if we'd have kept Burrow in that game, I think it would have been really close. So that's four games straight away. Do you know what I mean? That's eight eight wins. Yeah, it's just I think it's just having that mentality, and I think that's why it was really useful for us down the stretch to win some games and just get that winning feeling and that belief back because. And that's why, you know, and to do it against a good team in prime time like the Steelers, I think not only was it just a win against sort of a bang average team, it was a win against a good team. So I think for the Bengals, that will help them going into next season. And I think that's why it's more important than ever, whatever happens next year, that they get off to a good start. I just think instilling that winning mentality and knowing that if you get into a bit of a slugfest and the game, you know, it slips away from you or whatever, that you can come back and you know, you have the belief that they can get over the line because we're going to have a much better team next year. There's no doubt. We've got a high draft position. We've got free agency cap room. Mm. We're hopefully not, you know, surely we can't be that much more injured than we have been the last couple of years. So, you know, we'll be better. Zach Taylor will be more experienced. Whether you like Zach Taylor or not, he's got more experience under his belt. There's only, he shouldn't get worse. You know, can he get, can he make himself worse as a coach, as a young head coach? Probably not. So, you would expect there across the board that we will be a better team. So it's just, you know, can we put the consistency together, build on what we've had the last couple of seasons and hopefully get up to, you know, eight wins or hopefully above eight wins. And I think there's a chance there. Look, looking at what I saw in the playoffs, I think we're a, two two players away either side of the ball if we're healthier is mm-hmm. my yeah. evaluation of it. I think so. We'll talk a bit more about the uh, playoffs a bit later. But first, uh, let, let me tell you what's going to happen in this uh, episode. Uh, we've got Ken Anderson coming up. Always a treat and a privilege to talk to Ken. And he was terrific. As usual, he talks about uh, his thoughts on Joe Burrow, his thoughts on Zach Taylor. And we we had a little bit of fun with him, didn't we? We, we kind of sort of just threw some names of classic Bengals players that he played with and asked him to give his thoughts and descriptions on them. So that's that's really a must-listen coming up. We've got some Bengals news. Uh, I've got a quiz for Nathan, 
and uh, that, and we've got your questions. Uh, so yeah, uh, it should be a fun episode, I think. Uh, Carson Palmer has been named to the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, congratulations to Carson, who is a former guest on this podcast. Um, Joe Burrow has been pictured arriving, or at least videoed, uh, arriving back in Cincinnati and walking. I, I think he probably did this on purpose, because it must be quite cold in Cincinnati at the moment. He walked from his posh car into the stadium in a pair of shorts and... Bugger What's me. he driving, Joe Boy? Did you get a glimpse of his car? I think mean, it was sleek and black. Um, I think it might have been a Porsche. I don't know. I'm not a car person, so I'm gonna have to, you know, you're going to have to look at that video. Porsche, you reckon? That's interesting. Maybe. I might be wrong on that. I don't know. I'm not a car person. Ford, Ford Mondeo. Yeah, Ford Mondeo. <laughs> That's the job. Gets him from A to B. Exactly. Uh, I wonder if Gio's still got that crap car that he had in Hard Knocks. Uh, <laughs> that's something we're going to have to ask him next time he comes on. Um, but yeah, he's wearing shorts, and I'm sure that was uh, significant on his part because he probably wanted to show off the fact that he has no perceptible wound on his leg. You know what I mean? There's no, you know, obvious. I mean, like if you were, if you didn't know that he just had a major knee operation, you wouldn't know because he was walking quite normally without a brace on his leg, without any crutches. Uh, there was no bandages. There didn't seem to be any kind of explicit scar stuff there. It was it was remarkable, really. It's what you want to see, isn't it? You want, oh, yeah. You know, I'm, that, I'm not complaining. The, it's amazing. That's the future of our franchise right there. So you've got to hope the geezer's healing up nicely. Um, and he's ready to... I mean, I think he'll almost certainly be ready to go week one. It's more just how long-term does that impact his durability? How long-term does that impact his movement? I think he will with... I mean, we're all at, what, January now. He's got another, basically, eight to nine months to get ready. I don't doubt that he'll be out there. He's a young lad. He's... I'm sure he'll rehab the hell out of it. Um, you just got to hope that there's no loss in his sort of functional ability that he can move and everything else. So figures, I'm sure he will. He's still young, you know. He's younger than me and you, son. I'm sure he's got a bit more vigour about him than we would. Absolutely. And no doubt has been treated to round-the-clock physio and the best physio that exactly. money can buy and hydro chambers and, you know, all kinds of high-tech uh, stuff but yeah it was certainly a, a great sight uh, and of course Joe appeared on the Colin Cowturd uh, program earlier this week or late last week and yeah again fully behind Zach uh, said some interesting uh, things about X's and O's and where he where he wants to improve next season the deep ball being one of them did you see any of that interview uh, Nathan yeah I did he, he loved it on the X's and O's I mean he comes across as such a genuinely good bloke didn't he just like a normal sort of down to earth geezer in it so it was a, yeah. I mean I, I really hate Colin Coward I, he's such a arrogant arsehole but it, if you're going to do an interview with him at least you know it was on Joe's part certainly it was a, a quality quality listen yeah and I like that little kind of confident smile or smirk he gave when he asked him whether he was going to be ready and he's like oh yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be ready. Uh, so, yeah, very confident young man. And why wouldn't he be? He um, he plays for the Bengals, you know. Uh, speaking of the Bengals, the major news this week was uh, the return, the rehiring of Frank Pollack, the offensive line coach. Of course, he was let go, or he walked, we're still not quite sure, after Zach Taylor was made head coach two years ago. 
And he's back. Frank's back. Pollack is back. Um, that surprised me, Nathan. It's not just the role of offensive line coach he's been given, but also run game coordinator. So, well, first, what do you think about um, the rehiring of Frank Pollack? I think when you've got a position available, it's a smart move. I think he's well regarded around the league. He's got experience in Cincinnati. He knows the players. He knows the organization. He knows the people at the top. Um, there's no reason you wouldn't. I mean, everyone when he was, he was only here for a year. Um, but I remember when we got him from the Cowboys, everyone was very excited. That year, I think it was Marvin's last year that he was here in 2018. Um, Joe Mixon had a fantastic year. And I think when you see players coming out on social media about an offensive, like an assistant coach, vo- like vocalizing their support for him, it's always a good thing to see. Um, you know, most often, most assistant coaches aren't getting too much chatter from players um, on social platforms. So to see that's a good thing. I think it's a good hire. I'm not as, I think some people are making it out as if it's going to completely transform the team and it's going to completely reshape things. It won't do that. It might slightly improve the line. Um, it might slightly, hopefully, progress people along. I mean, you've got to remember Frank Pollock was there when we got Billy, Billy Price. Um we didn't have a great year in 2018 when he was here. So it, it, there's a minimal impact that assistant coaches are going to have in terms of win and losses and the game plans and stuff. So I wouldn't get too excited, but I do think that it's an upgrade on Jim Turner and it's a positive hire considering what other options might have been out there. So I think he's probably sweetened the deal, Frank Pollock, by getting that run game coordinator added mm. to his title. I mean, there was a lot of rumours that Jim Turner was involved in some way, shape or form with the run game and sort of working with Zach Taylor and Callahan to sort of align that and stuff. So I'm sure Joe Mixon will be very happy to see Frank Pollock involved and helping out with that. And yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a smart move. I don't think you could really knock it in many ways. No, I mean, some people have tried to. The overreaction faction have been out in force this week. Uh, we'll get to them in a minute. But I slightly disagree. I think I think a positional coach can have a hell of a difference. I mean, when Frank was here, we got we were like 11th in the league in pass protection or something like that, if I did see a stat out there. And he is reckoned that, to that be... That was when we had Clint Bowling, though, and I think that he was such an integral yeah. part of that line. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just, yeah... I don't know. I I think you raise a good point. I, I, first of all, I was I was super pleased with it. I was really because he's still reckoned to be one of the better offensive line coaches in the league, uh, and I do think a positional coach can have a difference on uh, on his room. You know, by getting tough on technique and his communication and communicating, you know, blocking schemes and all the rest of it. I think it can have a big difference. Um, I, was, I think it I was can. Surprised, I don't though. doubt I that surprised. it can. I just, I think the one thing that I would say is it's almost impossible as a fan to measure it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You, you can't just say because we have. I mean, if the line this year comes out and it's ranked better than it was last year or worse, it's you can't necessarily attribute that. I mean, there's injuries are going to play into that. Just natural ability of players and their progression is going to play into that. Um, any additions in free agency there's all sorts of different factors like offensive schemes that are you know to put players in better positions that aren't necessarily attributed to the coach themselves 
lifting the players' morale or or whatever. So I just think that as positive as you might be able to say it is, it's so hard to know if that person is doing a good job or not as a from a fan's perspective. If you're inside the building, fine. If you're a player, fine. But I think for us as as fans, you just have to kind of cross your fingers and say, I, I imagine that he's a good coach. And I think that's why I mentioned that with someone like Joe Mixon coming out and vocalizing his support and saying, you know, why would, because when he left, Joe Mixon was pissed off and he was saying, why did we let the best offensive line coach in the league go? So you, uh, the main thing I imagine from an assistant coach's perspective is do the players respect you? Are they buying into what you're coaching them and teaching them? So yeah. certainly from that perspective, I think it's a positive, but hard to know the impact i think well as i say there will be stats if 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 the if the if the offensive line gives up fewer sacks and uh you know there's some statistics regarding pass protection and run blocking and all the rest of it then and then suddenly the bengal's go from more or less bottom of the pile to sort of midway then that's going to be progress i think but the thing that interested me was this this kind of the carrot of the run game coordinators. And I'm sure that pretty much every offensive line coach in the league uh, is involved in the run game planning and the execution of it uh, all over the place. But um, to actually explicitly announce and name a run game coordinator, to me that feels quite rare. And in fact, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, so... There's a couple of questions that spring from that. First of all, is that the carrot that uh, that was dangled in front of uh, Frank Pollock to bring him back? You know, he's obviously done a, a reasonable job with the Jets because of their offensive line performance, even though the Jets are one of the worst teams in the league. Um, and also another question I think um, that this hire provokes is... Is this a front office uh, hire, i.e. is this a hire that was kind of put on Zach? Did Mike Brown and Duke Tobin sit Zach down and said, look, this is where we want this team to improve and you better bloody improve it. And we're saying get rid of Jim Turner uh, and we want to bring someone in who was doing a good job here before you came, you know. Uh, is that the case with Frank Pollack? Uh, that's one question. Very good, I think it's a very good point. I think it's a very good point because there's no doubt that Zach Taylor would have been brought back. I mean, we, we all said he was fairly fortunate to get brought back. And I do think that the ownership and Duke Tobin and those people at the top may have said to him, look, you're coming back. But I mean, I think they probably were the ones that um, got rid of Jim Turner. I don't think Zach, if he'd had complete ownership and control of personnel, would have got rid of Jim Turner. I think in his mind, he was doing what he wanted. He, Jim, he's got that relationship with Jim Turner. And I think the ownership may well have stepped in and said, look, this guy was doing a very, very good job for us before. The players like him. It's a move that we're going to make. I'm not sure it's, and I think you raise a good point. I'm not sure how much of that, because there'll be no relationship with Zach Turner and um, Frank Pollock. If anything, it is almost slightly awkward that Zach Taylor was the one that effectively came in and said, look, I'm bringing my guy with me, Frank, you're out. And it's mm. nothing personal there. You know, they're all adults or professionals there. But I, you know, I, I can't imagine that Zach Taylor would have turned around and said to the ownership, why don't we go and get the guy that we had before? You know, my guy's not good enough. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point to raise. Another question. Yeah. And if that was the case, then the question comes up is... <laughs> Is the appointment of Frank Pollack 
as the offensive line coach, but not just the offensive line coach, but also the run game coordinator. A bit of a, a bit of a dig at Zach and Brian because is that saying, listen, you couldn't get the run game sorted out. We need to bring someone in, not just as offensive line coach, but also the run. We need someone to sort out the run game. And frankly, lads, you can't do it. Is that? I mean, to be honest, I don't really care either way. I'm just quite pleased that we've got a quality offensive line coach in the building, and he's going to be having a hands-on roll with the run game as well I don't care how that came about to be honest with you but it just you know as a fan you ask these questions so I wonder if it was a front office hire whether that was a bit of a a dig at Zach and Brian I don't know I don't know we'll see um uh so Frank's back and we have another um offensive coach hired and that is uh, Troy Walters is now our wide receivers coach. And Troy was uh, the assistant wide receivers coach to Bob Bicknell. He's got uh, offensive coordinator experience at Nebraska and UCF. Um, and he must be highly rated because uh, he's been promoted from within. I know a lot of fans, again, the overreaction faction were like, oh my goodness me, it's an, it's an internal hire. That means we can't attract decent coaches uh, to Cincinnati, and this was like about 15 minutes after Frank Pollack uh, was prized away from the Jets. So, um, again, difficult to say with Troy Walters. I don't think many fans know him or know his work. I mean, thankfully, the wide receiver room is, you know, full of good players, or at least was full of good players. There's some holes to fill this off season, but. Um, yeah, your thoughts on Troy Walters, uh, Nathan? Without without being boring, it's impossible to say, isn't it? Because <laughs> know, you, right. you, you, you look at the room and you look at the players and if you want to sort of talk about their progression, I mean, T. Higgins obviously had a fantastic year, but if you want to make any argument that you make towards that Troy Walters could have had an impact on people like T Higgins or anyone in the room, like Tyler Boyd and stuff like that, well, you'd argue, well, why did the receivers coach who's his manager get fired mm. or like not, you know, so it, it's so hard to be able to say, you know, really give a reason why, you know, who was responsible for what again, is it scheme? Is it because Joe Burrow's there and it's making these guys look better. It, it's so hard to really drill down into the specifics of that. There's a reason that he's been promoted. There's a reason they've moved on from Bob Bicknell. It's probably not financially motivated in any way. So you have to then think that it must be due to competence. So that's all you can really say there. And I think for anyone saying, well, we can't attract better coaches again it's so hard to know you know this guy has got experience at the college level as um, a coordinator at a big school in Nebraska he's quite a young lad in coaching terms so give him a chance you know obviously I'm sure the team know how the quality of their internal hires they wouldn't have hired him um, unless they saw something so you just have to give them the benefit of the doubt and just see how things pan out you know very very difficult to judge people um that far down the pecking order i think agreed and just one last thing on uh, frank pollack you you were completely right i think to say that it's not just the coaching here from a positional coach it is you know everything's got to work together you know he needs you know the last time he was here he had bobby hart and he had you know trey hopkins and he had billy price and 
So he's got, you know, a lot of the same guys there. But we need quality on that offensive line. This is not... I hope this isn't an excuse just to say, well, we've got one of the best offensive line coaches back now. So he can make yeah, the guys that we've got, you know, better. And no doubt he probably can. But also, we need quality because, yeah. you know, one of the main problems uh, from last year was execution of the players. And... You know, the players just not doing it. You know, we can always have a go on about the coaching and yada, yada, yada. But it takes, you know, this game is all about lots of different elements coming together. And one of those elements is the players uh, executing. And they just did not last year and have not the past two years. Um, so they need... Do you think there's any... Do, I, I think that's a really good point. But do you think there's any way they're stubborn enough to sit there and say, we've got some young guys on that line where, like you, exactly as you said... We're bringing in Frank Pollock. He's a quality coach. We think he's going to get more out of Bobby Hart. We think he's going to get more out of Jonah Williams. We think he's going to take Trey Hopkins to the next level. We think actually Xavier Suofilo played well down the stretch. He might make him into a quality starter. Or Michael Jordan, maybe there's a chance he could even get something out of him or Quentin Spain. Do you think the Bengals might, and I wouldn't rule this out, say, look, that line was better down the stretch. We've got Frank Pollock in. Maybe we get someone you know, third, fourth rounder to bring some competition there. Hakeem Adenergy's still quite a young guy. Um, Fred Johnson's a young guy. Do they say, look, we reckon we've got what we need here. We just need to develop it. Because, I mean, that's a potential avenue there. Yeah, it is a potential avenue. And uh, I just hope they don't really. I mean, yes, there's some... I thought Fred Johnson did okay down the stretch, actually, when Jonah went out. He didn't play too bad. Uh, I thought Quentin Spain had his moments. You know, when Xavier Suofilo came back, he had his moments. Bobby Hart, as you said in previous podcasts, has played better than he probably ever has done. Not saying much, but, you know, there has been an improvement. Uh, but we do need better players, I think. And I think I think there's a genuine acknowledgement that Joe Burrow cannot be hurt again. Now, obviously, injuries happen in football, and I still maintain that Joe Burrow's actual injury, when it happened was just one of those freaky football injuries. But the amount of times he got hit before that, not good enough. And I think that I think that's what I think genuinely I think that's what they've acknowledged. So you hope that they're gonna get some new talent and good talent, you know, mixture of free agency in the draft. Let's hope so. Let's hope for a new guard, for instance. Let's hope for a new right tackle. If we happen to draft Penny Saul, then we've got suddenly, you know, Potentially a generational talent at both uh, at both left and well, Jonah Williams perhaps not generational, but two first round tackles bookending the line there. You know, so I don't think that they should be rest and uh, and kind of take it easy and just rely on Frank Pollack to improve the guys that they've got because we've seen how that works basically. So the hope is that they'll get better players and I'll also he, say about the offensive line as well it's not just the coaching it's not just the talent it all goes hand in hand with the play calling the game planning the scheme everything so everybody's got to be on the same page for an offensive line to work yeah I think I mean the interesting thing with the Bengals offensive line is it's it there's a lot of people in the discussion there I mean you you've just named a handful there probably seven eight nine guys you've also got bj finney that they got from that trade with the seahawks who never saw any playing time and i don't know if he's under contract for next year so he might not be in that discussion or he might be 
So if you go and bring in some guys, and I'm sure they'll draft an offensive lineman. I mean, almost certainly within the seven rounds and the seven picks they've got, you think there's going to be at least one guy brought in for competition, say, potentially almost guaranteed to make the roster if they draft him inside the first uh, five or six rounds. There could also be someone brought in in free agency. So it's going to be interesting to see of those guys on the fringes, um, like your Fred Johnsons and people like that, to see if they can stick with the team next year. Because there's going to be a lot of competition for those roles. Um, but I, I think for that line to be where it needs to be, you need to add at least one quality starter from day one. So either the fifth overall pick, you get someone like a Penny Saul, or you get a free a free agent, like a top free agent, that's a proven starter in the league and you plug them in. I think you need at least one top tier talent to stick on that line from day one for it to be anywhere near where it needs to be. I agree. But how about this? Starting offensive line next year, Penny Saul at left tackle, Xavier Sufilo at left guard. Uh, I'm going to say Trey Hopkins, but he might not be ready because poor old Trey did his ACL in during that last game. Against the Ravens, that was a bit of a soul crusher. Savage one, that is. Yeah, it? that like, sort of snuck, I didn't even really snuck under the radar, the didn't broadcast. it? No, that's right. Um, so let's just say Trey Hopkins or Billy Price at centre. Joe Tooney at right guard. And uh, Jonah Williams at left tackle. Uh, sorry, right tackle. I mean, that's a top-tier offense. Apart from the centre, that's a top-tier offensive line. You'd be very happy with that. You and, then you've, and then you've got someone like Bobby Hart, who's a more than capable backup. You've mm. got a couple of guys there that have been starting previously that if worst came to worst, yeah. you could bring into the line and they could do a more than serviceable job as a backup. But I think it's unlikely that they make two splash moves. Why not? But I think... AJ is well, going to be gone. Gino yeah, might could. be gone. There's going to be plenty of cap space, so you know. I don't think I don't think Saul will be there at five, and I don't think the Bengals will trade up. So I think they might just have to sort of. I think. I mean, we're not going to get into the drop. I really think they they'll look to go wide receiver um, or at five or cornerback. I reckon. But anyway, that's that's coming up. Yeah. Um, so those are the hires. We're pleased that Frank's back, and we wish Drury Walters all the best in his. Is promotion. How exciting for him in 2021. Um, uh, from what I understand, the running backs coach and the defensive line coach uh, positions are yet to be filled. Uh, but what's also quite encouraging is that they are filling these roles quickly. There's no messing, no waiting like, you know, two years ago when they were forced to kind of wait until the very last minute to fill these positions. And we all know that probably had a knock-on effect in terms of team evaluation, in terms of coaching and all the rest of it. They were kind of playing catch-up from the very start. Um, so, yeah, uh, they're filling these roles quite quickly. So I, w- I would look out for some for some news in the coming days, uh, maybe do within you, the next week. So let's see. Do you think there's a chance Kyle Karski comes back from the Detroit Lions? Well... Never say never. I mean, he had a good time here, didn't he, Kyle? He was highly rated, and uh, Detroit look as though they're cleaning house at the moment. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? Uh, Jamal Singleton was uh, confirmed as the University of Kentucky's running backs coach over the weekend. Um, before we get to Ken, I just want to bring up Deshaun Watson real quick. 
looks as though, I mean, these podcasts now at the end of the season, we're obviously just chatting about anything that we can think of to fill some space. Uh, and uh, not that we don't anyway, but, um, uh, you know, there's more kind of general NFL chat in these episodes leading up to the Super Bowl. And Deshaun Watson is not happy in Houston. And there was a report that, uh, you know, he could go to the Dolphins and the Dolphins could give back the num- that first round pick that they got from Houston and so on and so forth. But I, if I was Deshaun Watson and I looked around the league and I saw potentially Drew Brees retiring, potentially Ben Roethlisberger retiring, I wouldn't want to go to Miami. I'd want to go to a team that is quite close to winning. And in fact, I'd probably choose New Orleans. I'd rather shit in my hands and clap than uh, go to Pittsburgh, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, so... But yeah, there are these teams, good teams knocking about. You just mentioned the Colts earlier. I mean, what happens if Rivers retires? I think Deshaun Watson might have a market, you know. I really do. I mean, he's going he's gonna to cost big bickies to get rid of him. You know, we're talking sort of a player and a, and a couple of first-rounders, you know what I mean? Um, it's not going to be cheap. But, I mean, if you were the Steelers, if you were the Saints, if you were the Colts, if you were close to having a championship team and the quarterback was a problem... You'd go for Watson, wouldn't you? You'd 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 go for it. No, oh, I mean a hundred percent. I mean, there's there's not many you know better quarterbacks around the league than um, Deshaun Watson. He's a young lad. He's dynamic. He's a stand-up guy. I mean, he's twenty-five years old, Deshaun Watson. You know, he's got so he's got another ten, fifteen years in the tank. I think you'd need to give up more than most teams could afford. You're probably going to need to give two firsts. Couple of seconds, two, two seconds, and a very, very talented player that's also got some, you know, youth beside them. I mean, that's why I think with Miami, they're talking about. Well, look, we'll give you Tua, who's obviously you know drafted in the top ten, mm. plus a couple of first rounders. But I mean, if you're the if you're the Houston Texans, unless Tua is going to be your quarterback of the future, it's not a very good deal. No, you know, I mean, there's a lot of question marks. I know Tua's still himself rehabbing from a serious injury. Um, about what was that about a year ago, twelve, yeah, about eighteen yeah. months ago. He's so just, he's still, by all means, just could easing be a very, very himself into the NFL, isn't he? And exactly, and he's still kind know. of a big future in the game. But I don't know. I, I I think it might just be a big mountain to move for someone. Um, in terms of being able to make that move, but I mean, Houston have gone from having a. I mean, you think back to Houston. They had Deshaun Watson and um, DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I mean. Why would you ever like, move them along? You know, like that is an absolute two of the, the most. Le- I mean, De- DeAndre Hopkins for me is probably the best receiver in the NFL. If not, he's certainly top three. There's yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I that. mean, I'd say Stefan Diggs is at the moment, at this very well, moment. You got oh, Devontae really? Adams. I mean, there's a lot yeah, of good receivers. Some good, good players. You'd yeah. certainly say he was top three. You'd be hard pressed to say he was outside of that. And you think Deshaun Watson is a, certainly a top six seven quarterback if not higher and you think why would you you know when you've got that combo they obviously had some chemistry i just think bill o'brien making that trade to arizona just criminal do you know what i mean it's just like it's just like team building gone bad i mean miami have done it right they've got rid of players and accumulated draft picks while getting together a good young team of uh, players, but crucially, they've got a good coach as well. And I don't yeah. think Bill O'Brien was a fantastic coach. So, I mean, I wouldn't want to see Deshaun Watson twice a year in the AFC North on the Steelers, no, would you? No, Absolutely no. not. So, I'd rather him go to the Saints. And I think 
uh, that's one to watch, uh, I think. We've uh, got to talk about this. I've got a topic go for on. you, Sam. A certain gentleman has been interviewed around the leagues by the name of Marvin Lewis. He's had yes. a, an interview with the New York Jets. He's had an interview with the Texans. The Lions, he's also apparently. had an interview with the Detroit Lions that apparently went very well. So do you think that he will get a job or not? And if so, how do you feel? What do you think? Um, yeah, I'd be I'd be happy for him if he got a job, you know. Um, I still think he's a good coach. I still think what he did in Cincinnati is criminally underrated. Um, but, you know, just seeing some of the Jets' reactions when they put out that they've, they interviewed Marvin, they were going nuts. They were like, no playoff wins. Oh, my God, he's terrible. He's not. He's I mean, he's won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. He's a quality defensive-minded coach. He can do it all. He's got the he's got the uh he's got the experience, got the crucial, experience of being a head coach and dealing with the whole, you know, the, the kind of holistic three sixty view of the franchise. Yeah, I I'd wish him well, you know. I wouldn't I wouldn't wish him ill, I'd wish him well, definitely. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting, isn't it? I, I think any fan base is gonna hate the hire and I think that's gonna put teams off. I think ownership want to make sure the fans are behind what they're doing, especially if the project's not an instant win now type job. And I don't think any of those jobs at the Jets, Lions or Texans is going to be a win now type approach. So I just think that fans from the off are not going to like the fact that, you know, he's everyone now just wants sexy young coaches. That's the recipe coordinators that have had a good run and that come in like a Matt LaFleur type character that comes in, brings some energy with him and the play picks up. And I just think bringing in a guy in his sixties that, hasn't won a playoff game, is defence first. He might talk a good game, Marvin, and I think there's so much benefit to having that experience. And I exactly like you said, I think it's criminally underrated what he did achieve in Cincinnati, making those teams competitive year after year and relevant, you know, no matter what the transition was from quarterback to quarterback, lack of free agency spending, whatever you want to say. He did a very good job of keeping us competitive. But I would be surprised... Um, however much he's respected around the league and how much he's got these interviews, I just think that teams are going to pull the trigger on a younger, sexier candidate that will go over slightly better with the fan base. Well, as Marvin uh, was very fond of saying, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but let's hope for the best for Marvin. Um, that's enough of us talking now. Let's bring in a genuinely legendary guest. We love having him on the show we're very privileged to uh, to have met him and spoken to him. And that is, of course, Ken Anderson. And as promised, we have one of the legends of the game, not just of the Bengals, <coughs> but of the game. Uh, he's been on the podcast twice before. Uh, it's always an absolute honour and a privilege to welcome Kenny Anderson back. Hello, Ken. How are you doing? I am doing fine, thank you. Well, that's good to hear. Um Obviously, it's been a tough year for everyone. Um, however, some people have been making things easier than perhaps they could have been. And I would say you are one of those people because back in the original lockdown, back in, which seems like an age away now, sort of March, April, May time in 2020, you were hosting these fantastic, um, these like almost like video TV shows, you know, they were, they were fantastic. So I wanted to say thank you for those. You had some utterly brilliant guests on. No, um, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, we called it Keystones with Kenny because Keystone Light is my brand of beer. And, you know, I started uh, 
you know, we, we lost a lot of fundraisers for my foundation. So this was a way we could sell some raffle tickets and do th those kind of things and still promote the foundation. And, you know, but geez, when you get guys like Chris Collinsworth and, and Johnny Bench and Dan Fouts and Archie Manning and had a couple comedians on one time, it, it, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, we, uh, we stopped right before the Christmas holidays and we'll pick it back up after the first of the year again. Well, that's good to know. I wanted to ask you, actually, um, how did you find that? Because you also came onto Twitter uh, around that same time. How have you found social media? How have you found the interaction with fans? How have you found sort of hosting your own TV show almost? Have you enjoyed well, it? Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And, and uh, my neighbors get a kick out of it because I, I kind of set a little studio up in my garage. Right. And, uh, you know, so I told my golfing buddies, it's free Keystone Light if you come over and, and, and my guys will do anything for free beer. So, you know, one of my good friends is an, an Irishman and we had to kind of get him to calm down a little bit so I could hear <laughs> what was going on. But you would expect that of an Irishman, I guess. Uh, but no, it, it was uh, it was a lot of fun and, and uh, you know, just uh, lighthearted. And, and like I say, it was a, a Zoom happy hour. And so it's the only time I've ever done it where I could drink beer while I'm doing it. And, and that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, I'll let you let, uh, let you into a little secret, Kenny. When we <laughs> first started uh, this podcast around three years ago, you were one of our very first guests. But our approach to it was a bit like you uh, with your kind of live stream shows was to drink beer during it. And I think we got, we got a little bit sweary and a little bit kind of naughty. And then we kind of figured, hold on a minute, we're not going to get guests like Ken Anderson anymore if we carry on like this. Is there Has there ever been a danger of you kind of maybe going over that little line of tipsiness, perhaps? No, because my executive producer is my wife, Christy, and, and she keeps a tight control over things and the amount that I can drink during the show. A smart Ken, a smart. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you say hello to Christy. I, I remember meeting her in London. And, of course, we we remember London because it, it was only a couple of months ago that it was kind of a year after the Rams game. And, of course, you were good enough to come over. And, you know, just seeing you there in that pub again was fantastic. And uh, you must remember though that fondly as well. Well, yeah, you know, just to, to go into, a, a, a you know, the bar over there, the, the Bengal bar, you know, in downtown London and see the amount of Bengal fans, you know, not only from the UK, but the amount that travel over from Cincinnati to the game. And, you know, uh, seeing people, we were over there, I think it was, what, a couple of years before that when the Bengals were over the first time. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we meet new people all the time and stay friends with them. So it's been, you know, an exciting trip. And, you know, how can you complain about going to London? And, you know, my wife and I just thoroughly enjoyed those trips and the experiences that we had. And, you know, I can't wait to get, uh, you know, the, the NFL games back going on over there. So hopefully we can come back over again. Mm, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk football, Kenny. Um, not a great season for the Bengals. Um, what are your kind of thoughts about the team, the coaches? Obviously, you've been in the, the coaches' hot seat before. Um, it's never a very nice time immediately after that final game, I guess they call it Black Monday, the NFL, don't they, when a lot of coaches lose their jobs. Um, what, what are your thoughts about the Bengals' season and where it went right, where it went wrong, that kind of thing? Well, you know, it, it, it went right by drafting Joe Burrow. Uh, he is going to be the, the real deal. And it was just, you know, he was off to a fantastic start. It was just a, a shame that, 
you know, he was injured and had to have surgery on his knee. And although the prognosis is, you know, from what you read, the rehab's going great and uh, they think he'll be ready for opening day next year. But, you know, I think it kind of exposed, you know, the offensive line a little bit and, and sure there were injuries there, but, you know, we've got to be able to protect the quarterback when you've got, you know, someone of, of Joe's caliber, I think that's kind of the primary need, you know, in the off season. And, you know, uh, to see a guy like T Higgins come in as a second round draft choice and, you know, Tyler Boyd, um, you know, and this is going to be kind of a, a hard off season for the Bengals because, you know, is this uh the last of A.J. Green. Mm. Uh, is it the last of Geno Atkins? Uh, two guys that have been not only great players for the Bengals, but great for the city of Cincinnati. They did, they did so much good uh, in their time there. So, uh, you know, I'm glad Zach Taylor's back. I, I, I happen to be a Zach Taylor fan. I think he did a good job. And, mm. you know, and, and one of the things is on that London trip that impressed me is the season wasn't going good. And, you know, they practiced on a Thursday, got on a plane, flew all night uh, over to London, got to a hotel and <clears throat> and went right out to practice. And, you know, when, when it's near the end of the season and things aren't going good, it's just kind of easy for the players to go through the motions, especially when it was one of those cool, drizzly days that you've been known to have over there. And I happened to be at that practice and it was one of the most spirited practices I'd ever seen. Mm. And his guys, you know, buy into what he's saying. They play hard all the time. They may be outmanned, but they give it their best effort. Uh, I, I think, you know, as I hear talk and read the papers over here, there may be some changes, you know, in the staff. And I think that's, you know, kind of only natural uh, as you go along. Um, but I think, you know, the, the offensive and defensive lines are things that, that need to be addressed. And you had some really good offensive and defensive lines when you played back in back in your time in this in the seventies and early eighties, right? Well, yeah, and you know, I was you know pretty good in the in the mid seventies, and people thought my career was going down in the late seventies. And geez, all of a sudden, along comes a guy named you know Munoz and a guy named Montoya and Blair Bush and Lapham, yeah, you know, and, and Mike Wilson and. When the offensive line, I, I had a meteoric rise again. What happened? I said, well, it's pretty easy. I had five guys up in front of me that were taking care of me. So I think that's the key for any quarterback is you've got to have the guys up front that give you a chance to do your job. Mm, absolutely. absolutely. Ken, you touched on Joe Burrow uh, a moment ago, but as a quarterback yourself, what have you seen from his game that particularly stands out to you? Is it the accuracy? Is it the leadership? Is it the arm strength? What, what in particular stands out um, from Joe Burrow's game to you? Well, I, I, I think the, the, the first thing I, I think is leadership. Um, you know, I, I like the guy from the night that he won the Heisman Trophy and he used that platform, you know, to do good in, in his hometown where it was desperately needed you know, food in the food bank uh, to help those less fortunate. Um, he was, uh, you know, ahead of the team when a lot of the racial strife was going on and, and, and was outspoken about that. And and the the team follows him. But, you know, from an on-the-field standpoint, uh, you know, he is accurate. He has command of the offense. He knows what he wants to do. Um and, you know, Paul Brown always had a saying that, you know, for some players, the game's not too big for them. And, and Joe Burrow, the game's not too big. He can rise up to the occasion when it's called for. Absolutely. And 
looking forward to next season, obviously, as Paul mentioned, it's not been the season I think a lot of us fans wanted. But what? how far away do you think the Bengals are from really competing? Do you think it's one or two pieces or do you think there's a few more things that need to be done there from the Bengals to, to really get over the slope? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, from an offensive standpoint, you know, you know, a couple of linemen can make a big difference because, you know, with the emergence of T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and, and I, you know, we had, you know, a tight end that hurt his Achilles was out for the year. So I think, you know, and, and we got Joe Mixon, you know, but, uh, you know, but some other running backs, you know, uh, you know, have stepped forward. So I, I think we've got the skilled players if we can kind of settle it out in the trenches and, you know, from a, a defensive side of the football you know, you've got to be able to stop the run. You got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback. And that, that comes from the guys up front. So I think those may be the focus Uh, you know, we've got uh, a lot of unrestricted free agents. So it, it's kind of, you know, how you, 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 the guys that you resign on your own and the guys that you bring in free agency, it's a, a delicate balance, but you know, uh, I think we can be substantially better next year quickly. Um, you've also been an offensive coordinator as well. You've kind of done it all in the game pretty much, Ken. And um, I'm interested. One of the criticisms that a lot of fans have of of Zach and and uh, and the team offensively this year is that there isn't much of a scheme there. What would you say, or at least an identity there? What would you say to that? Well, you know, I, I think there is an identity, what they would like, you know, to do. And sometimes... You know, you know what you'd like to do, and, and but being able to do it uh, is another question. But I thought, you know, all of a sudden, you know, when when Joe Burrow goes down and and, and they put in Ryan Finley, and uh, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of changed philosophy. They ran the ball a little bit more, and and Ryan, you know, had a, a big day running himself with a you know big touchdown run. And the next weekend, uh, you know. Uh, the other quarterback came back, and all of a sudden he throws her about 380 yards down in Houston. So I, I think they're, they're, they can do a lot of different things, but I, I think it's just kind of getting getting settled into to what our personnel is when, you know, between guys that have to sit out for COVID and, and guys that are on the injured reserve, it was a, a constant rotation in the lineup. Mm. Um, we're going to wrap this up in a minute, Ken, but I, I saw a tweet of yours where you said um, – Isaac, uh, obviously, we've been talking a hell of a lot about AJ Green recently because he's, as you rightly said, he could be on the way out, and it's such a shame because he's been a terrific player for a decade. Um, you tweeted out that Isaac Curtis, in your opinion, is the best ever Bengals receiver. So I wanted just to th- because you know, even though check this out, I'm wearing my Ken Anderson T-shirt. <laughs> And I've grown a Ken Anderson moustache during oh, lockdown. Oh, thank, thank you, thank you. Uh, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm carrying off <laughs> as good as you by any stretch, but I thought I'd give it a go. Um, I'm interested. Can I fire some names at you that perhaps younger fans of the Bengals may have heard uh, about but didn't really know about them as a player? And if you could give like just a really brief idea what they were like as a person, as a, as a player, would you mind doing that? Not at all. Okay, well, let's start with Isaac because I've seen plenty of footage. You to I throwing the ball to Isaac Curtis, and if fans haven't seen it on YouTube, there's plenty of action on there. It, it is a beautiful thing to watch. Tell us about Isaac Curtis. Well, you know, I, I think everything, you know, the, the big focus was on AJ because, you know, one more catch or one more touchdown, all of a sudden he's the Bengals' all time leading receiver ahead of Chad Johnson. And the debate goes on who is better, you know, AJ or Chad. And, and, for the Bengals best of all time. And, 
you know, that's just a statistical thing. And mm-hmm. when you go back and, and you, you know, the impact that Isaac had on the National Football League when he came in was very similar to several years later when Jerry Rice came into the league. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't throw the football as much back then as they do now. And, and because, you know, offensive linemen couldn't pass protect uh, very easily. But Isaac, you know, would be right up there in yards per, you know, yards per catch and number of touchdown catches. And, you know, he was a football player that had world-class speed and they wanted him to try, try out for the Olympic relay team. And he stuck with football, Mm. but he wasn't a sprinter that tried to play football. He was a football player that just happened to be fast, but outstanding hands, always another gear um, and couldn't overthrow him. Bob Trumpy. Gronkowski before Gronkowski. Uh, you know, Bob was that that six five guy, and you know he may have only weighed two thirty five, two forty, but he was big enough where he could block the the edge on the line of scrimmage. But we were one of the first teams that would actually split him out and let him one run wide receiver routes because he was that talented, that fast, that gifted as a route runner. Uh, another tight end, uh, a member of your Super Bowl uh, team, was uh, Dan Ross. And I've always, he doesn't quite get the attention that he deserves, I think. So could you say a few words about Dan? Um, what, a contortionist. Uh, you, you know, uh, we, we came in, uh, you know, that year that he came and, and Lindy Infante came in as our office of coordinator with, with Forrest Gregg. And we ran a, a lot of option routes and, and Dan was the master of that and he would come off. And I knew whether he was going in or out by the, the technique, the way he got off and the technique that the linebacker was playing him. And so the ball went in the air very early because I know where he was going to go and he knew it. And, and he could unbelievable hands. And, and like I say, he was a contortionist that uh, he could, you know, twist his body in ways that were, uh, were, I don't know how he did it to make some unbelievable catches. All right. A few defensive players. Um, again, perhaps lost in the annals of time, but Coy Bacon. Well, you know, Coy came over for us in a trade from uh, San Diego. And it was only a 14 uh, game schedule back then. And it was before they kept sacks as a statistic, but he had 22 sacks in 14 games. The guy could rush the passer. Hmm. Yeah, he's a fascinating one, Coy Bacon. Like you say, he doesn't get credit he deserves because of the statistics and the how they gathered the statistics there back then, did they? Um, well, let's let's also talk about someone who passed away recently, um, Ken Riley. Was he that good? Well, anybody that has sixty-five interceptions in a career, which is fourth all time, I believe. Mm. And for somebody that when you have that many, they're going the other way and they don't throw the ball as much. Why he's not in the Hall of Fame, I don't know. Everybody right above him is in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Um, A a great guy, great athlete, uh, the consummate teammate. And and I'm going to throw, you know, while we're talking about defensive guys, I'm going to throw out one to you that people don't remember because he didn't finish his career with us. But Bill Berge. Yeah, right. Yeah. Linebacker from Arkansas State. And he was in the mold of Butkus, of Ray Nitschke, and, and I would say he's in, in that category, um, a physical linebacker that was big, that was mobile. Um, unfortunately, had a little contract squabble with Paul Brown and ended up with the Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, he was as good as it was back in the day. 
He went, yeah, he went over to the Eagles, didn't he? And had a stellar Correct. career after that, yeah. Yep. Um, I just want to finish on Paul Brown himself because I feel that he's obviously such a huge name within the organisation, huge name within the NFL. What On a day-to-day basis, what was he like? What Could you go up to him and have a little joke and a laugh with him or was it all business? Was he... What was he like as a guy? Well, um, very efficient. Uh, he, he knew what he wanted things to look like. Um, and, and that was, you know, back then coaches did a little more coaching, I think. We, we only had uh, three offensive assistants. We had a, a line coach. Mm. We had a running back coach. And, and Bill Walsh coached the, the quarterbacks, the tight ends, and the wide receivers. On defense, we had a line coach, a linebacker coach. Uh, and a secondary coach, and we had our head coach, and we didn't have a strength or conditioning coach. We didn't have a special teams coach because all of the assistant coaches coached a special team. Mm. But, Paul, you know, the the way that organizations are run today, the way that you practice, the way things are organized, all goes back to what Paul Brown started with the Cleveland Browns back in the day. And so you talk about a guy that was back in his day uh, an, an innovator, Um. And to have the success he did as long as as he did, and the you know the, the start a franchise and and in the third year, the year before I got there, that they're in the playoffs. Mm. Um, so the, the guy and I always you know credit him that he always hired really top notch assistant coaches and let them coach. Mm. That was that was the key, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, took, oh, I could talk to you all day about past players, Ken, but I think we'll let you go. We'll save that for another day. Um, listen, Ken, it's, as I say, it's always a pleasure. I think you have a special uh, link and bond with fans over here in the UK, whether you like it or not, <laughs> because of your appearances. People over here absolutely adore you and, and, and you know, really appreciate you, you making the trip over twice. So, uh, we heard no, you say I, so. I, I still remember that night at the Admiralty, standing up on that uh, the balcony, throwing out hats, throwing out towels. That was one of the, the great memories that I had, and looking down and seeing the crowd. And mm. and then, uh, you know, I, I, I told the owner, I said, I, I got to go down there. Yeah. And so he said, here, take these. And he gave me a, a stack of drink tickets. And so I was really a, kind of a hit that night because I'd go around and, and passing out free pints. Yeah, you would have been a very popular man that evening, I would imagine. Um, uh, but yeah, Ken, thanks so much for the time yet again. Uh, we'll have, hopefully, you'll be able to come on in the future. But until then, a very happy New Year to you and your family, and uh, stay safe over there. Yeah, and same to you. And uh, let's get together around draft time. Sounds good. Okay, thanks, thanks, guys. Cheers, Ken. Thank you. There we go. That was Ken. Kenny, number fourteen. The legend, and uh, what a treat that was. Um, and I think it's true to say he's got a special bond with with a lot of UK fans over here, uh, just because he's been over twice. He's seen the size of the fan base. He's seen the Admiralty when it's packed out. He's he's. And what I like about Ken is he mucks in. He actually, like he said, he he go. You know, just for people who don't know, the Admiralty has like a, a mezzanine level, and. Um, uh, almost like a, a little balcony, you know, quite a big balcony actually, where you can look down on the main area of the pub and that area is jam-packed with Bengals fans uh, and normally uh, the high and the mighty and the Bengals uh, um, 
staff are up on the balcony and whoa, 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 whoa. hang on a minute hang on a minute what? you talk about the bengals the high and the mighty Let, yeah tell all tell all the listeners where you spend your time in the admiralty on <laughs> the balcony i managed to get up on the balcony yeah, exactly. yeah. the high and mighty like yourself and hang out with ken and lap and dan horde and all those lads and uh yeah that was quite a treat really and once i was up there i thought well i'm not going to go back down there again i'm going to see how much free drink i can get up here to be honest and uh, it was marvelous but anyway um but Ken, you know, Ken's up there chucking T-shirts into the crowd and having a fine time. His wife's up there. And uh, and I say, all these guys are up there. It's fantastic. But Ken, bless him, he goes downstairs with a bunch of beer vouchers and mixes in with the fans. And that, that means a lot to a lot of people, you know, people having their photographs taken and, you know, lots of, oh, my God, it's Ken Anderson sort of moments, you know, so... Uh, Ken must be given a lot of credit, and uh, what a lovely man he is, I think. Yeah, what a top bloke, great energy, lovely character, and like you said, he, he's not afraid to mucky and have a chat with some people, get in the cheap seats and mix around with a with a sewer rats downstairs like us, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But um, no, he's a top bloke. I mean, that night goes down, and it, both of those nights in the Admiralty, the first one and the second one, just unbelievable nights, quite extraordinary, really, and I... I think more than ever now, when you're in a lockdown and you can't see anyone in the bars and restaurants aren't open, that night in the Admiralty, if, if COVID was knocking around there, I think every single person in that building would have been infected because it was oh, a, yeah, it yeah. was a full. You couldn't move. You upstairs, downstairs, the toilets were overflowing. It was, you know, you piss. I think I, you know, you're pissing next to Bengals coaches, and <laughs> it was just an absolute. <laughs> Uh, free-for-all in there. And I, what, what I would do for a night like that at a minute. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I must mention that you can follow Ken on Twitter at KenAndersonNFL, if you don't already. And he also mentioned his fantastic foundation, the Ken Anderson Alliance. They do some terrific work for um, kids over in the Cincinnati area. You can follow uh, that Twitter account at KAAlliance14, at KAAlliance14. Now, Nathan, do you remember uh, during our Christmas episode, you treated me to a quiz. Um, you asked me, uh, you put to, you tried to gather some of the most ridiculous sounding names in the NFL. And uh, uh, you asked me to guess which ones are real and which ones weren't. And I happened to storm the whole quiz just through luck more than anything, to be honest with you. That was a lot of fun. So I thought I'd do your quiz uh so you could make because you said you know for me because I won that quiz you were going to give me I think it was a crate a month wasn't it of Manabria <laughs> wasn't that right I, I, I get you a couple of Manabrias I'm not getting you a crate <laughs> all right okay that's a shame um, but I thought I'd give you the opportunity to um, to win those Manabrias back basically or at least level the playing field so I put together if if uh, listeners are uh, uh, familiar with our cornerback, uh, Darius Phillips' uh, Twitter feed. It is an interesting read, I must say. Uh, and they are very cryptic tweets. No one really knows what he's talking about. Now, he's been through some hard times, genuinely. I think his mother passed away, and there might be some that kind of, you know, reference that. Um, but a lot of them don't seem to. They don't particularly reference anything, uh, but very cryptic. So I thought I'd put together a bunch of tweets. Now, they might be Darius tweets or they might not be. <laughs> so you have to guess which ones are Darius's real tweets 
<laughs> and which ones aren't? I've got eleven for you. Are you game for this, Nathan? Oh, absolutely! Yeah. What, what, can we call like it? What, what can we call it? Darius's tweets. Uh, Darius tweets, not like mean tweets on the Jimmy uh, whatever show. Uh, we've got to come up with a snappy name. Did he Darius? Did he Darius? Right. Okay. Uh, let me put some music on in the background. Some quizzy music. So the first one, true. Is this a Darius tweet uh, or not? I wasn't looking for yo secrets, they just came to me. <laughs> Is that Darius or oh. not Darius? I mean, oh. I'm going to say it wasn't Darius, that. It was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next one. The only person yo should ever compare to is the one yo used to be. That's 100% a Darius tweet, that is. It's not. I made that one <laughs> up. It's... Oh, mate, this is a terrible You're going to have to turn this around. Oh. Everybody be bummed out, yo. Gotta eat yo chicken. That's a... No, that's not Darius. That is not Darius. You're off the mark. Off the mark. One. So one out of three you've got. We ain't never wanted to be known. We just wanted to be on. <laughs> I'm going to say no oh, It is a real oh. one One out of four What if one day Google was deleted And we couldn't Google what happened <laughs> um, Oh it's so hard isn't it I'm going to say that wasn't him either You're right to say that wasn't Darius I made that one up Um if it's important, you will find a way. If not, you find an excuse. That's definitely saying he'd say. Definitely. It's not. I made it up. Oh, no. Right, quick, quick score check. You are two out of six at the moment. Oh, I need to turn this around. How many more have I got left? Five to turn it around. Yeah. Everybody want love for their insecurities. I can't lose myself to give you more of me. That's definitely a Darius tweet. That is a Darius tweet. Um, man, if you ain't got no cheese, you ain't got no cheese. That's not a Darius quote. That's not, I made that one up. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, sorry, yeah, you're back in the game, Nathan. One, two, three, four. Four out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Four out of eight. Conf 500. Confess your love for me. Testify. No, that ain't Darius. That is Darius. No! <laughs> <laughs> Two oh. left. Will I regret you? Will I put you on my schedule? <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to say that's not Darius. It is Darius. No! And finally, yo, I'm not interested in being interested in. I'm, it's something I'm not even being interested in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that's not Darius either You are correct So you've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 out of 11 Just oh, missing out on uh, So basically you owe me more Manabrias now um, Well I'm more than happy to give them to you If I can see you at some point Alright well that's uh, What do we call it? Did he Darius That's the end of did he Darius I think we should bring that back man I, I enjoyed that <laughs> 
the name we'll give, we... us, it'll give us some more content to work with exactly season, you what. might you might be careful what you wish for you might get a whole episode of that in the off season i don't know but um right okay let's get to our correspondence now let's stop being silly and um we are of course uh, at who day underscore uk on twitter and Bengals UK on Facebook. And just to let you know, we are planning our Super Bowl online tailgate. So uh, we'll be telling you all about that uh, pretty soon. A couple of weeks to go. We're going to take a bit of a break from the tailgates. But we will But we will be back for the Super Bowl. Might even get Nathan involved if he's keen. Get get him to eat that pickled egg live on air. Oh, on mate, that ain't happening. Don't bring that up. <laughs> Right, okay, let's get to our correspondence, shall we? Um, Memphis Soul Stew, at StuartBears688. Seems odd watching a match and not being too worried about the results. I look forward to football in January when I will care. It's a good point, isn't it? I think you you said it right. You know, the first question that I think I ask myself whenever I start watching a playoff game is how far are the Bengals away from this standard, this playoff standard? And then once I've uh, answered that question, uh, I just sort of settle down. I quite like watching player football, you know. It's kind of, there's usually some cracking games, some great players. And it's just nice not to, you know, be invested emotionally too much into into a game. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I always ch- chuck a little cheeky bet on it to give it, so at least I've got someone to root for. But... It is good, and and you, I know it sounds like an obvious thing to say, but the standard of football is high. There's not a lot of penalties. There's some quality defensive play, which I think sometimes you don't see during the league. And um, yeah, it is a very good thing to benchmark um, the Bengals against. So thoroughly enjoyed this weekend. Still don't think they should have. I mean, I'm certainly enjoyed watching six games, um, and I think all fans do. But I still am not convinced that you need. Um, or that many teams getting into the playoffs. Jamie at Trek White Beast. Uh, Ken Bloody Anderson. I remember being many sheets to the wind and struggling to stand up in the Admiralty. An old Ken came along and thrust some more beer tokens into my hand. Hall of Fame worthy, if you ask me. Anyway, on to more current things. Should we sign, stroke draft, a fullback? It's an interesting question. I know Jamie's a huge fan of the fullback. Um... I just don't think a fullback fits into Zach Taylor's scheme. Certainly what we've seen out of the last couple of years. Uh, have there been moments when we've needed a fullback? I would say so. But is it enough for Zach to to get older one and get him on the roster? I'm not so sure. Would I like to see a fullback? I always like to see a fullback. So um, not on every play, but certainly in uh, certainly in, in on rushing downs and, and short distance downs. Um yeah, I maybe, maybe. See, old Ryan Hewitt's up to these days, eh? <laughs> right, Give him a yeah. call. Um, I don't know. It's a hard one, isn't it? It's interesting that the league just weirdly is sort of transitioned towards not really valuing the fullback as much, and I don't know if that corresponds with the up the uptick in the passing game and stuff like that, but. I think with a fullback, it's probably a position that you may be bringing under, uh, you know, a, a free agent, um, like an undrafted free agent, and potentially see what they've got. I don't think the Bengals are probably going to go and spend any significant amount on transitioning to that. But then let's see what Frank Pollock's saying as a new run game coordinator, you know. But I, I think it's probably unlikely. 
And finally, uh, not too many questions tonight. Andrew Dockerell at Dockers77. Um, have you got a college football championship prediction? And how would you sell Cincinnati to, to a free agent with three things? Um, I don't. Uh, it's Alabama, isn't it? And someone else. See, I don't even know. I don't follow college football. Alabama, Ohio State, my oh, son. Of course it is. Sorry, people are going to shout at me now, aren't they? Um, I, I don't know. Shall I go with the Ohio State just because it's Ohio? Of course I will, but um, I don't know. Have you got any uh, insight into that game, Nathan? Not a huge amount. Um, obviously, I know it's going to be interesting people looking at uh, fields and see how he plays. Obviously, he had a brilliant game in the semifinals. Um, I can't remember. The Alabama quarterback's like Max, I think. It's like... Um, <laughs> We're terrible, aren't we? Yeah come, yeah, come to us for all your top-notch college football analysis. But yeah, OS, uh, I've started doing some mock drafts. So quite a lot of Ohio State players are in these mock drafts. So I'm... I am interested now, you know, Chris, the wide receiver, Chris Olave, I think, that, I don't know how you pronounce his name, Wyatt Davis, you know, all those sort of guys. Um, yes, of course, it's interesting, but I, I shan't watch it, really. Um, so give me three examples of how you're going to uh, sell Cincinnati to a potential free agent, or let's even throw in an assistant coach uh, into that uh, conundrum. It was Mac Wilson, by the way, that callback. I know I, I, I just came to be them. But um, oh, how are we selling Cincinnati? I think it's Joe Burrow, isn't it? Is yeah. the selling point. He's the future of the franchise. He's a quality player. You've seen that he's a quality player. Um, I think the other reason you sell Cincinnati is the amount of cap room they've got. I think the money's going to have to talk to some of these players, unfortunately. But I think the Bengals have got money to spend. Um I think the final thing that kind of encompasses both is that you've got to sell them on whatever your plan is. And the organization in the front office will have a plan. Um, it's one that we won't be privy to, but they will have one in terms of how they're going to turn this team into a Super Bowl winning team. And you've got the main piece with Joe Burrow. He's a young quarterback on a rookie deal. Um, you've got obviously your coaching staff that you're behind that are growing that are young but and inexperienced but you're obviously you're backing them there's going to be some money spent there's going to be a high draft position at number 5 this year um, which will get us some quality players in so if you're saying to some free agents look we might not have been competitive for the last 2 years but we're drafting fifth overall we're going to spend some money on some players including yourself um, and this is what we're doing. Joe Burrow's fully healthy. He's coming back. I do think that people, I mean, it's not going to be by any means the sexiest offer out there. There's going to be a lot of teams that are further along than us, potentially better cities in terms of more glamorous cities anyway, in terms of your Los Angeles, your New Yorks, your Chicago's, Florida and stuff like that. But I think with Joe, whenever you've got a quarterback like Joe Burrow and you've got a plan, I think people are going to be responsive to that, certainly on the offensive side. You know, if we're looking for a wide receiver, like, you know, someone to come in and be that number one guy or certainly be a number three guy if you think T. Higgins is the number one, I think people are going to be very interested in coming and playing for Joe Burrow. You've got Joe Mixon there running back. So I think, I think there's a solid enough... Um, I think it's certainly sexy than it would have been maybe two years ago with Andy Dalton and, you know, not sure whether he's the guy or not. And Marvin Lewis is coming towards the end of his 
15, 16 year career in Cincinnati. I think it's more sellable now than it was a couple of years ago. I would say culture, Nathan. I'd say we're building a culture in this building. We're build, bringing the right type <laughs> of players. They're doing the, the right kind of things every day. And it is all about the culture. And it's the culture that we're building here. So if you're into culture, come here for some real culture in the locker room. And then, you sound like a certain head coach, I know. <laughs> I know. But no, it's, it's got to be about uh, Joe Burrow, isn't it? It's got to be about T. Higgins. It's got to be about people like DJ Reader and Von Bell. It's got to be Jesse Bates. It's got to be, you Logan know. Logan Wilson. You know, that Logan Wilson, Tyler Boyd, you know, Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard. It's It's got to be about those guys. And actually, it's quite attractive, really. And plus, if you shove a lot of money in my face, then, you know, anywhere's going to... I mean, Ipswich is going to be quite attractive, isn't it? Um, uh, but there you go. So uh, we've come to the end of the episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, we will be back next week with more uh, nonsense. Um, anything else do you want to say? We've got some good games coming at the Browns playing... Uh, uh, the Chiefs, I believe. The Saints playing the Buccaneers. The Packers Pop. playing. Who are they playing? They're playing uh, the the Rams. The Rams and the and the Buffalo Bills against the the Ravens. So some crackers coming up uh, this weekend. But uh, uh, yes, we're going to stop talking now and let you have uh, as good a week as you can. Please stay safe. It's insane out there at the moment. Uh, we want you all back, fit and healthy, for next week. Uh, so until that time. Um, well, you know, well, who day? No, I don't. I've got that wrong, haven't I? It's a who day from me. And a who day from me. Cheers, guys. And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.